Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, on Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1 800 795 9565 or email on the mark at WKOK.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark. Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show on the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe is across from me. Hey, man. What's good, up? Good local conservative. Portrays himself as a natural-born listener, so we'll see how he That's does today. Now, on the Mark, sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Check them out at sunburymotors.com. Toll-free line will be open uh, during part of our first half hour, but not initially. Go ahead and write it down now. It's 1-800-795-9565. You may, wait a second. I'll get a pencil. Email us at onthemarketwkok.com. Just tap that into your phone. Okay. Or you can text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. That's our Text Connect system. Join the thousands of people who have signed up for Text Connect. We send you important breaking local news information from time to time. We're glad to say that Jeff Mann is back. He's a professor of religious studies at Susquehanna University. Still stuck with? I mean, you're still enjoying the religious <laughs> head of the department? Absolutely, Mark. Okay, sorry. Is that a volunteer stuck thing? Stuck with? It's a semi-volunteer. Oh, okay. So people, it's like I know at some colleges it's a sequence because nobody wants it, so they make everybody uh, enjoy it from time to time. Okay, so head of the religious department at Susquehanna University, and I'm blanking on the name of your international volunteer effort in the Philippines. Oh, uh, the Plus Program. Yes, Philippines plus. Learning, Understanding, and Service. Absolutely, where students, uh, well, students already do international work as part of the curriculum at uh, SU, but this is one opportunity where they they head down south, and uh, well, I guess it's really significantly west, right? Yeah, about half the globe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> go, you, you go west and just keep on going. You go to Interstate 80 and keep yeah. going. Okay, all the way around to the other side of the planet. Well, maybe we'll get a couple sentences about that before we're done. But we're glad to say that uh, you've mentioned that you are going to talk uh, on campus tomorrow night. Now, you're not on the schedule of official Martin Luther King observance uh, elements that they're having on campus. We Actually, we're going to talk to some folks uh, later this week and next week about some of the official ones. But uh, you're presenting, free of charge, anybody who wants to avail themselves, a Martin Luther King Week presentation as specifically as it relates to... How Martin Luther King Jr. would feel about critical race theory. Okay. And also, uh, it's uh, not going to be held until February 4th. Oh, it's cl- next month. Okay. Yeah. We oh. get started again uh, rather late this year. And that's a, that's so. a good premise. How would Dr. King feel about it? <laughs> well, we're just jumping in, huh? <laughs> well, let's well. do some finding of fact first. Okay. Joe and I have okay. talked about critical race theory. We both have just enough misunderstandings that we're not really arguing the right things. But we have a college professor here who probably knows what CRT really is. Well, uh, as you guys both know, it, it's not something easily nailed down. It's a rather amorphous con, uh, construct. Um, I think it can be helpful to start off by talking about what it's not. Um, there are, there's a lot of people saying things about it, whether they like it or they don't like it. Uh, that isn't always quite accurate. So, uh, you know, CRT is not teaching white children that they're all evil, colorless, racist oppressors. 
Um, and CRT is also not just teaching the facts of history. Right? Um, this is an ideology that um, it, it's, uh, it has good intellectual roots, but it is also um, rather controversial. It's making some pretty bold statements. Um, and so I think we have to, to watch out for the caricatures of it on, on both sides. So what is it? Um, I was trying to think of whether I wanted to uh, venture my own definition or, or, or read one from, from someone else uh, who I, I trust a little bit more. Um, but I'll, I'll take a shot. Um, so critical race theory uh, primarily comes out of the 1980s, out of the academic world, out of legal studies. And what it's focused on is how current disparity and discrimination with regard to race finds its roots not in contemporary acts of, of racial discrimination, um, but historical uh, roots. So whether these historical roots um, be legal uh, or social or um, 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 cultural, that these that the systems have been created uh, in the past based on racial discrimination that have currently resulting in, um, in, in residual uh, yeah, you can see how, how I want to stumble over my words with this. Residual um, discrimination and disparity uh, among different race groups. Okay, so you're, it's really a uh, sort of a, not a statisticians, but an academicians uh, way to somehow assess how race racism might pop up in our society. Like there might be an element left in maybe education or policing or something. Right, yeah. Let me. I, I, I screwed that one up a little, so let me take an, another shot at this. I think there's a tendency that we have to, when we talk about racism in America today, to say, okay, is there racism? Well, let's look around and see if we can find... Uh, uh, some white supremacists. Let's see if we can find some bigots uh, and look at the actions that they are engaged in. And, and that certainly is one thing to talk about and an important thing to talk about. But here the concern more is how have we created structures, uh, what critical race theory theorists often call you know, structural racism or systemic racism. How have we created structures in our society that perpetuate uh, the, the, the discrimination uh, and, and disparity uh, among racial groups? Well, an article in Bloomsburg defer- defines it uh, somewhat along those lines. They say critical race theory or CRT proposes that any analysis, any analysis of American society must take into account its history of racism and how race has shaped attitudes and institutions. So if we're talking about the founding of the country, we can't just talk about the founding fathers. We have to talk about their racial attitudes. Mm -hmm. And really, their racial attitudes didn't really enter into their decisions about what to do with the country. I mean, they had lofty ideals and goals. They just didn't even consider the, the, the slaves as being, what was it, three-fifths of a person or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really take into account those people that were here at the time and were oppressed, but it was accepted. Well, I, I think this is where you get into a um, uh, two different possible ways of interpreting history, right? Um, and, and strong arguments can be made for both. On the one hand, you can say, okay, the Founding Fathers set up uh, an amazing political experiment, right, um, based on, on, on the, the, the equality of, of all human beings. And we haven't always done that well, and we've been improving on it, and we, we didn't implement it well, but the ideas were there because they weren't thinking of, uh, they weren't thinking properly about the full humanity of all people. They weren't acting on the principles that they espoused. Um, and slowly we've made progress in improving that and, and acting more in accordance with our ideals. And I, and I think there's you know, a strong argument to be made for that. The critical race theorists are going to have a more cynical understanding of this and see that um, laws that were passed and institutions that were created were done so intentionally to, um, to favor whites over blacks. 
uh, and and other uh, others as well. And so, if we're looking about the history of uh, you know the Chinese Exclusion Act, if we're looking at the whole structure of racism, we're looking at Jim Crow that there was intentional um, uh, there was intentional actions that created intentional structures that would favor whites over others. But it's not necessarily just black people. I mean, look at the uh, Know Nothing Party. I mean, they didn't like Catholics or immigrants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they probably didn't like blacks either. So Absolutely. We've had that. We've had many oppressed groups mm-hmm. in our in our history. Uh, the Irish uh, being one, I can remember that there used to be signs up saying, no Irish need apply. So should we have the critical Irish theory that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, everything you tie, have a discussion, you have to discuss how it impacted Irish people. Yeah, I think the the CRT folks would respond by saying, well, okay, that's true, and we're not going to minimize any of that or or say that it was acceptable or not a big deal. But if we look today at the disparities that exist between different ethnic groups, um, what do we see? What do we find? And so if we're talking about the Irish, we don't see a a, a big um, disparity in Irish levels of wealth and Irish levels of education. And so um, the structures that were put in place have not continued to uh, have a negative effect on those communities uh, like the ones um, that have affected blacks. And and in, in all fairness, yeah, we have treated all sorts of, I shouldn't say we, uh, Americans have, have, certain Americans have treated other Americans deplorably. Um, but it's only with the blacks that we have this extensive history of slavery and Jim Crow. And, and the discrimination certainly exceeds that uh, directed towards other groups. And so critical race theory is, the goal is to somehow quantify or identify the residual racism that might still exist in systems today, whether it's education or policing or just wealth building or anything else. Just identify whatever, let's say, be optimistic, let's say whatever minuscule amount of racism that might exist still, but to really, to what, to get down and find it, to to meet it out. I don't think they're talking about finding it so much as they are teaching it. I don't think so, but anyway. No, you, okay. Um, well, the word, the, the the key word that you used there, Mark, was when you said goal. So, what's the goal of all this? And I, I think that is where this really deserves some some real critical discussion, and maybe we, where we can bring in um, the the role of Dr. King, um, or not the the role, but um, what his perspective likely would be. So, what is it all about? And, and I think that there's a fair criticism of critical race theory uh, that says it ends up just being intellectual navel gazing, right? So you get a <laughs> bunch of intellectuals sitting around talking about um, these these aspects of our history, talking about privilege, talking about structures, and okay, so what? Then we feel bad. Um, we have a, maybe we have a better understanding of history, but what do we do? Um, and and I think this is. Um, a real serious criticism uh, that, that critical race theorists have to deal with, uh, because what what is you know so so we so we have more lectures and more discussions of of white privilege um, and racist oppression, but how is that helping poor black communities around the the, the country today? Um, you know, it, it, it helps certain individuals, but it doesn't make a big impact. And I don't know if you guys follow John McWhorter. He's a, a linguist professor at Columbia uh, and, and a brilliant guy. Um, and he talks a lot about this. He's critical of critical race theory because it's not helping. It's, it's not really improving things. And if you look at, at the legacy of Dr. King, one of the things that I really appreciate about him was that uh, – he was not interested in just speaking for the sake of speaking. He wanted to figure out how to change things. How do you change uh, the laws about segregated busing? How do you change the laws about voting? Um, and 
after his uh, his Albany movement, um, I don't know if I have the quote here, but after his Albany movement, things hadn't worked out as well as he wanted, and his his self-critique was, we were too vague. We talked about discrimination in general. We should have been specific about what we were concerned about and how to change that. And I think that when you talk about the goal of critical race theory, I think what Dr. King would say is, you guys have to have a proposal about how to improve things. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of intellectuals hiring each other to come and speak. But is it really aimed at improving anything or just identifying <laughs> past injustices. Well, I, I think the advocates of it would say, well, you know, we, we have to have a proper understanding of this first, right? <laughs> we, we have to, you know, understand what the dynamics are because you have to understand um, the disease before you can come up with a cure. And, and, and that's fair, right? We need to have an, an, a good understanding of history and how we got here if we're going to improve things. But I, I think there are fair criticisms to say that it doesn't go much beyond that. Okay, so it just does that identification, but it doesn't help. You know, and I think a lot of times we talk about, well, this week we talked about Martin Luther King Jr., and we said, you know, I have a dream. Well, that's great, but that really doesn't say anything about what he fought for, what he did, or when he got arrested, or when he protested, or when he marched, or when he preached, or anything else. Or the divisive elements of this. Um, well, yeah, that's why he was shot, because of the division that was, mm-hmm. uh, he was accentuating some significant divisions. Okay, so. But does th- CRT, does CRT promote division, or does it promote healing? doesn't do anything. Just identify. It's just the binoculars. Well, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's had that effect. <laughs> you, you, join <laughs> us if you want to. Yeah, I, I just think yeah, it's funny that you guys, are spo- you guys are supposed to be the uh, the opposite, you know, uh, the, the uh, opposing views to one another on here. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be overly critical. You know, I want to I want to, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt uh, as much as possible. But I, you know, there is this concern about, all right, well, what do we do with this knowledge? And I will admit that as I follow this, there's a lot of discussion about education, a lot of people just saying, you know, we need to understand the the role that these institutions have played historically. And, and maybe what do we do, right? Do we, you know, some of the conversations today, and we can discuss their merits, about, um, about reparations, about affirmative action, right? There are there are specifics that are coming out of this, um, but if you just say reparations and throw that out, that's not a very helpful, you know, uh, specific. And so I, I, this is my my take on it. But I think Dr. King would agree. Uh, it's that yeah, you need specifics. You need to move beyond just general discussions of the history of oppression if you're going to improve the lives of, of so many you know poor black people around the uh, the country today. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dig into the remarks uh, that Professor Mann is going to be offering in February uh, at Susquehanna University. What would Martin Luther King Jr. think of critical race theory? So we're going to get some uh, answers to that as our show progresses. We'll try to open up the phone lines if we can, but we really want to dig into here to the work that uh, our good uh, professor has uh, done. You're listening to On the Mark. Uh, We have Professor Jeff Mann from Susquehanna University, Professor of Religious Studies. Uh, He's going to present an essay next month on the campus of SU to which you can attend this uh, public event, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, so people can come see it. What would Martin Luther King Jr. think of critical race theory? Uh, we'll continue this conversation momentarily. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could chop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. 
If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. Professor Jeff Mann is with us uh, from Susquehanna University, Professor of Religious Studies. Uh, what would Martin Luther King Jr. think of critical race theory? Yeah, where would he agree and where would he disagree? Yeah, well, uh, as, as you... As your question suggests, right? There's, I don't think we can end up with a he would like it, he would hate it, right? It's not would uh, it wouldn't be all uh, or, or nothing. Um, I mean, King was a one of the the other things I really like about King is he was a critical thinker. He wasn't an ideologue, and so he would read stuff and say, all right, what here do I agree with, and what do I disagree with? Um, so. Um, this is what my you know my presentation on February fourth is going to be about is where would he agree and where would he disagree? So I think there are parts where he would definitely agree um, with with critical race theory, um, saying for example that we need to think about racism not simply as overt acts that bigoted people commit uh, towards one another, but about how we've created um, legacies of racism, we've created legacies of discrimination. Um, and so, you know, this was in the 1960s that he wrote, white America was ready to demand that the Negro should be spared the lash of brutality and coarse degradation. But it had never been truly committed to helping him out of poverty, exploitation, or all forms of discrimination. When Negroes looked for the second phase, the realization of equality, they found that many of their white allies had quietly disappeared. But the absence of brutality and unregenerate evil is not the presence of justice. And so one of the things uh, that I think he, where he would have agreed with the critical race theory is, theorists is to say, yeah, it's, it's not enough that we just do away with, with like terrible overt acts, right? Burning crosses or just even being nasty and bigoted towards people that, you know, we get the Archie Bunkers to shut up. Um, but if we're going to achieve justice, there there needs to be ways that we, you know, figure out how do we make up for the legacy of this? How do we understand it? How do we make up for it? And, and so in that respect, um, that's an aspect of critical race theory that I think he would be on board with. How do we do that? Through legislation? <laughs> well, that's a big question, right? And and uh, and gets to one of the places where I think you know maybe maybe King would disagree with critical race theory. Um, some people may disagree with me on this, but I think that a lot of the critical race theorists and their advocates um, really want to be the only acceptable voice in the public dialogue. Um, that they want to control uh, um, the debate, they want to control the discussion, and other views are, are not so so welcome. And I had another quote here. Um, this was from, uh, I'm not going to find it now. Oh, yeah, here we go. Ayanna Presley, who's a congresswoman from Massachusetts and herself a, a CRT advocate. And, and she said, if you're not prepared to come to the table and represent that voice, don't come. Because we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. And so there's a tendency, I think, to shut down dialogue. When I, I think any critical thinking person realizes fixing or improving race relations in America is immensely difficult. Right. Uh, I mentioned reparations. You could have discussions about that. What about affirmative action? These are really difficult issues. And so King was one of these people who said, look, we need to bring in lots of people and let's have lots of debate. During the 1960s, when the, you know, during the civil rights movement, um, there was a lot of, of 
different opinions within the black community and within you know throughout the country on how best to respond to this. And so if we are going to improve it, we need to be having dialogue and, and discussion with people. Um, and so I'll, I'll just give one more quote, and then I'll stop talking. So, uh, so Sorry, King, we, we invited you here to yeah, talk. Well, oh, well, thank you. You're it's, the reason we're here. Okay. Uh, so when they were talking about a, you know, a, a call for unity in the black community, um, King wrote, this plea for unity is not a call for uniformity. There must always be healthy debate. There will be inevitable differences of opinion. The dilemma that the Negro confronts is so complex and monumental that its solution will of necessity involve a diversified, a diversified approach. So when you ask, what do we, you know, where do we go from here, which was King's last book, um, he had some ideas. I like some. I don't like others. Uh, but it, and until we start having conversations left and right, conservative and Democrat, black, white, Asian, uh, then we're not going to make much progress towards figuring out really good solutions. But how can you do that in the context of so many people today playing the race card for political advantage? I think you've got it, that. That's true. I think you've got people on both sides of the aisle. Just well, the politicians trying to throw out red meat and get elected. Uh, people trying to win. Um, you know, win debates or get the most likes on on Facebook. Um, I think what, and I work in higher education. What I would really like to see more of is institutions of of of, uh, of higher education setting a standard by inviting in people with different viewpoints about how to improve things, right? Whatever the issues are, right? Um, and, and I'm happy to say Susquehanna University is doing something with, uh, with that later uh, in the spring semester in April. Um, we're bringing in two experts who disagree with each other on a, on a public policy issue. And, and the students are exposed to both of their ideas and they're going to hear them discuss and debate the issues. And that's how you become a better critical thinker. That's how you get to know people who are different than you. Uh, and, and I think that colleges and universities should be setting the standard. And I'm happy when Susquehanna does that. It does that sometimes very well. Um, but there's a lot of schools around the country where I don't see that playing out. Well, yeah. you'd be earning Iona Presley's enmity if you did that. She obviously only wants one voice. Well, yeah, there's a, there is that tendency that we have to... We just want to hear from people like us. Well, Susquehanna University has done that on a number of occasions, brought in people from both sides of issues at the same mm-hmm. time, and to, and occasionally there's protests about it. You know, yeah. if somebody's on so far on one side, I, I forget the divisive author that was uh, oh, there. Oh, when we had both Ben Shapiro, ben Shapiro and Ed Randell. Right, right, right. But that, w- that was... Those, that event... Well, it was two events, right? Uh, but that was constructed by the students, um, the, the SU Democrats and SU Republicans, and they both supported each other's events. And and the pro- what was interesting with the protest is uh, it wasn't exactly a protest, but it was a, a statement outside uh, of Ben Shapiro's uh, venue where they were raising money for Planned Parenthood. Now, regardless of what your politics are and, and all that, um, I thought that was really, you know, a clever idea. It's like, yeah, come hear him speak, and if you don't like what he's, you know, what he's about, here's, here's a, a cause that you can donate to. Um, but it was all very civil, and after the people, the SU Democrats ran this little table outside, they came in, uh, and they attended the lecture and were respectful and asked questions, and it was a really good event. I think that's the sort of thing we need to be doing more of in higher education. Can you stay past 9 o'clock a little bit, not too far into the 9? A.M. hour. Should, should I, I think my wife's listening. I could ask her. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. We'll do that because I do want to give our audience t- t- a chance to ask this. Well, I know at Bucknell they have this with the Open Discourse Coalition, and they've mm-hmm. been doing with that BPOC thing, you know, 
where they invite folks from both sides at the same time, mm-hmm. either, and of course, lately, it's probably been 1% easier with doing most of it on Zoom, so mm-hmm. to do it electronically is almost easier than bringing these uh, different sides. But uh, I, I don't know that we necessarily make progress from that. <laughs> I mean, I, I could listen to Joe all day long, but I am not going to espouse these ultra-Republican conservative ideals for which he argues. And likewise, I can talk about uh, diversity and inclusion and uh, uh, racial equity all day long on this show, and Joe's mm-hmm. going to be Joe when he returns on Wednesday. Right. But if he catches you in a bad argument, right, or, or vice versa, and then you're like, oh, crap, that wasn't a good argument. I'm not allowed to say crap the time, on the radio. The yeah, we, we, we call that Tuesday, <laughs> but anyway. Oh, okay. um, but then you're like, well, okay, then I, I need to stop. I need to think that one through, or I need to come up with a better argument. And I'm not going to become one of him. Or maybe I'm not right. But you realize right. How, how desolate that argument is. I mean, you're saying there's no hope for us. Mm. We can talk all we want to, but nobody's ever going to change their mind. Nobody's ever going to evolve. But we have done that in this country. We have evolved. We, do. we don't, mm-hmm. we don't uh, hold that black people are three-fifths of a person anymore. You know, we have laws that guarantee certain rights for everybody in this country. What we need is the resolve to enforce those laws and make sure that we deliver on the promise that we made to everybody who lives here. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, what what's helped make so much progress uh, um, evident in our, in our country's history, I think, is as we get to know one another as individuals. Right, you you may look across the desk, Mark, and, and think you know that guy's full of crazy ideas, but you recognize him as a person. You've spent a lot of time with him, um, and if he needed help, you know, in some other situation, you'd probably be the first one there to give him a hand because you see him as a human being. But when we isolate ourselves from each other, when we create our echo chambers um, and disparage one another, whether it be on social media or in our own social environments, then we're we're not able to see one another very easily as human beings. Right. The more that's what breaks down tribalism. February four. Where? At Stratansky Auditorium. Okay, good. At 1.45. 1.45 p.m.? Yeah. Normal people can attend. Yeah. Well, I mean, working well, class folks will have to take the afternoon off, but for me, that's a normal time to start something. I can do that. All right. All right, Stratansky Hall? Uh, auditorium. Auditorium, okay. If you just right. say the music building, uh, right. you'll get to the right place. Okay, super. All right. It's in the Cunningham building? Correct. Okay, yeah, on the campus of Susquehanna University. All right. We are talking to Jeff Mann, professor of religious studies. He's going to stay a little bit into the 9 a.m. hour. And uh, we originally started talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and what he would think of critical race theory. And that's the title of a lecture that Jeff's going to have uh, on February 4th at Susquehanna University. So, I'll be in the back row. You're invited as well, and to do what Jeff just suggested, that you listen, learn, uh, thoughtfully consider, ask questions, and then help make this country even better and better and better as we go into the future. Dr. Soika sat in that chair rec- a couple years ago and said this country just keeps getting better and better and better because of this kind of uh, dialogue that we're having right now. To be continued, you're listening to On the Mark on News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1 800 795 9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, 
Mark Lawrence, and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe's across from me. Joseph McGranahan, mayor of Shemokin Dam, helps Pima out with volcanic response in Pennsylvania. So, so far, so good, right? Nothing cooking yeah, we're there. we're keeping the volcanoes All well right. under control. Excellent. He used to actually be in charge of something, so I've morphed it into <laughs> something <laughs> nonsensical, just in case Jeff's hearing this for the first time. Uh, and uh, well, well, you certainly have made it nonsensical. <laughs> Thank you. I have a tendency... It was the Pennsylvania Emergency Communications Committee. All right, but uh, you're no longer on it's that It's not volcanoes. Right. He was in charge of tsunamis, but Lake Erie <laughs> called and said, we don't need it, so we're moving on. Uh, Mr. Rob Sanders, our fabulous producer, we've opened up the phone line, so if somebody wants to call in, and uh, you would be speaking with, at that point, our good guest, who's Dr. Jeff Mann, Ph.D., Professor of Religious Studies at Susquehanna University, uh, and head of the Religious Department, and uh, helping the uh, student exchange and work project, work study that involves students from SU going to the Philippines to participate in, in, in great work and uh, hard work there. I'm trying to think where he went to school. Vanderbilt comes to mind? Uh, yeah, that's where I did most of my graduate work, down in Vanderbilt in Nashville. Okay, super. And where else? Uh, other other preschools? Or oh, not um, preschool. But <laughs> preschool was at uh, St. John's Luther Miss Mary's daily school. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I did my undergraduate at Kenyon College in Ohio. Okay, and you've taught at Muskingum, right? Yep, that's correct. Yep, good spent for you. two years okay. teaching there. Right. Great, great school. Okay. So if uh, folks want to talk to us uh, with uh, Jeff, that'd be great. You can do so now, 1-800-795-9565. Uh, he's going to have a public talk at Susquehanna University on critical race theory. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., what would MLK think of CRT? So uh, elaborate. Is there anything we haven't covered just to sort of relate to the compare and contrast? And what? I mean, it sounds like he would like some things because we're talking about it, but right. wouldn't like it because it's just a theory. Theories aren't really his thing, if I'm hearing this right. Well, I, I don't know if I would say that, but w- what I've prepared is for this presentation is, is nine different points I want to talk about, um, nine different points that critical race theory uh, may represent and how King would feel about that. And so there are some where I, where I make the argument that, yeah, um, when, when you talk about structures that have been created um, that lead to um, racial discrimination in perpetuity or over long periods of time, yeah, I think he would, he would embrace that. There are other aspects of this, um, sort of the, the negative view of, of America as an institution being a white supremacist state that he would clearly reject. And so there's a number of points that I want to look at uh, where he would agree and where he would disagree. And we still have racial inequality in the U.S. We still have Absolutely. big disparities. I mean, we, uh, Joe always talks about President Trump was able to help uh, black unemployment rate go down still further. Sort of that, you know, mm-hmm. where the high tide raises all ships, including some places where it, it, it needed to be raised more. Mm-hmm. But uh, since then, of course, the pandemic has kind of changed all this. Uh, well, let me ask you this. We had a lot of racial protests last year, the George Floyd murder, right. and then, of course, the, the country kind of erupted in, in response to that. Uh, have you, do you ever analyze, analyze what Martin Luther King Jr. would think of that or how that has helped? He was uh, nonviolent, you know, wasn't our, he? Our racial issues? Yeah, well, you know, when, when I think certainly Dr. King would appreciate when you have people of various backgrounds, whether they be ethnic or political or, um, or uh, 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 economic, uh, coming together around a certain cause and standing up for principles that they feel are important. Uh, yeah, I think he would be a big advocate of that. Um, however, there were certain places I think where he would raise some concerns. Certainly, he would have been a very vocal uh, uh, critic of the violence that was resulting in, in, in some of our communities around the country. And I think, as I mentioned also, 
uh, I think he would also raise the challenge, okay, so what do you want to change, right? What What is the specific proposal that you have? Standing out on the street corners and, and indicating your solidarity, that's great. But if you're really going to improve things, uh, in, including the lives of the poor, who were a big concern for him of all colors, what are you going to do? So he would say, okay, if you're talking about blacks who cannot vote, attack that issue, legislate mm-hmm. that, argue that, protest that, right. pick out the vote as, as where you want to make some uh, progress. One of our good listeners... Just before you do that, oh, I have one, of my favorite, on, one of my favorite quotes from Dr. King, and I was just looking it up because I, it was too long for me to remember it. He says, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Yeah, we love division. I mean, that doesn't sound like a guy who was interested in promoting any kind of division. It sounds to me like a man who wanted to bring us all together and, in fact, truly become a raceless society in this country. Okay. It's not really a question, but it's more of an observation related right. to Dr. King right. just pointed out yeah. that we seem to accentuate division. Well, um yeah, I, and there's this dialectic in King, and, and there are quotes like that where he talks about the moral arc of the universe being long but bending towards justice. Um, and so on the one hand, yeah, I mean, he's he's optimistic, and he does believe in America. But by the same token, he, he's not naive, right? And he also doesn't believe that racial justice will just come in on the wheels of necessity, he says, right? That there, There's no guarantee that things will move in this direction. It's going to take work. It's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice to achieve. All right, it's going to I take think what would be interesting is to take his quotes over the years as he matured and as he progressed and as he faced various challenges and see whether or not they actually modified his view over the course of time. If he I don't changed, think they did. If he changed over time. Or, or, or hold him up against things that are happening, like the George Floyd protests, the nonviolent ones. Mm-hmm. You know, is this that calling attention to the fact that we still have a distance to go in terms of uh, uh, racial equity? Or, we should or remind racism. that we are, we're taking questions, um, not opinions, right? Uh, right. Okay. okay. Uh, Eric, uh, go right ahead. You're on the mark. What's your question for Dr. Mann? Uh, good morning, Dr. Mann. Thank you for entering the show. Uh, Eric here, class Susquehanna 1984. Um, <laughs> isn't our point really to, we need to, as a society, get to, get to the point where we don't even uh, take race or sex or religion, background, or, uh, you know, orientation. We, we, isn't our signing the point where we say people as people, uh, you know, I'm Eric, he's Mark, he, he, you know, rather than saying, okay, my color of my skin, my background, uh, you know, my sex even means anything. Can we see just, the only thing that points is people as people and, and your reputation, how you act, how you treat others. As being how we, how we, if we judge people, how we judge them. Can we ever get to that, I guess? Well, yeah, that's that's part of a really interesting ongoing conversation, and, and that's a really good question. I mean, th- there's this tension between are we seeking to be a colorblind society um, or are do we need to spend more time uh, and more energy focused on, um, well, things like race and ethnicity and their historical, uh, uh, the, the historical factors that have led to current uh, disparities. So, um, so to Eric, I'd say one person you might be interested in checking out uh, is a guy named Coleman Hughes. He has a podcast. He's a young guy um, and uh, just really interesting and, and, and insightful. So, and he's working on a book on this. And one of the points that he makes is a lot of the criticisms of the colorblind society argument are like, well, that can never happen. That's ridiculous. But 
he, he makes the point, well, colorblind is using here, used here as a metaphor, right? We, it's, we would obviously be able to see people's colors, and we would recognize that. It's a metaphor for where um, those factors that you talk about, whether it begin be color or race or, or sexuality or, or, or gender, that they don't factor into how we treat people. Right, um, and should we be striving after that? And th- that's been the um, you know that's been the model since uh, since I was a kid watching Schoolhouse Rock, um, and they had the American Melting Pot video. So <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought you might know that, Eric. Uh, so you know that's been the model for a long time, and I think it's it it can be a really good model properly understood. The pushback is going to be that well. Look, there have been there has been mistreatment of people that has not been um, fully reconciled, and it's not enough to say, okay, well, you know, we're going to treat you all fairly now. Um, when there's a legacy of the effects, you know, people talk a lot uh, in critical race theory discussions about redlining, right? Redlining kept black families from accumulating wealth, uh, and that is something that has a you know effect for effects for generations, uh, and so that's really the challenge there. So I'll be honest with you, Eric. I, I do favor more of the approach of the colorblind society, but there are the challenges that the critical race theorists are raising that I think need to be taken into account. And I think King would agree. Yeah, we we need to consider that. But then the question is, what do we really do? Thank you, Eric. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Call back with uh, more opinion, uh, Chris. Uh, last caller bef- before we say goodbye to Doctor Man. Uh, please go right ahead. Yeah, uh, creating division. Uh, almost all racial prior progress seems to come with a kickback of reaction that's negative. Uh, whether it was uh, blacks getting the right to vote, whether it was uh, uh, the Civil War and uh, what happened after Reconstruction, uh, school busing, uh, getting and. Uh, racial preference programs uh, and they all created a lot of progress but they all created a lot of kickback and that I don't see how uh, creating division can really be part of the argument in that all racial pro- progress that's been going on has created a division and been used by people, opponents to stoke anger but that can't be a determining factor in whether you accept something or not. Is there a question? Yeah, we were asking for questions. Well, that's a... That's an opinion. I, I, I think you were, you were stating about uh, creating division being a negative thing, but positive things create division. Yeah, you can always add, what do you think? And then it's a question. Um, and then what do you think? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. So, um, yeah, no, I think that's... I a, thought that was implied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I, you raise a really, uh, I think, important observation, which is, yeah, whenever we, we go through changes, and, and often these changes are improvement, these don't happen easily, right? There, There's pushback, there's resentment by people who, who don't want to change um, or who benefit from the current system and, and perceive that they're not going to benefit from, from a new system. So how do we, you know, usher in progress uh, in in a way that results in, in less of that. And I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit ago. Um, what, what's the benefit of these conversations, right? If, if The more that you demonize the other, the more difficulty there's going to be, right? When you have people who are having a conversation about, well, how are we going to advance with regard to race relations or um, our gender relations? And those are tricky issues, and there can be pushback. But do we demonize the others? Because no one likes to be demonized, right? And then you become resentful, and then you start pushing back. And so if people try to take away your freedom of speech, if they try to depict you as a deplorable human being, um, then... Or, or that's call a, you one. Yeah. Uh, then <laughs> we that's, had that. 
then that's going to that's going to make the, 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 the whole process more difficult. But but granting one another grace in the conversation, seeing one another as human beings, I think that's going to minimize the, that pushback that you're talking about. But I, you're right. I don't think it's ever going to not exist. All right. Thank you. Chris. Thank you so much. One of Chris. our emailers says we will never be a colorblind society as long as the government categorizes us by color. And, you know, every form you get from the federal government, they want to know how you identify yourself, what color you are. And that gets trickier and trickier. I, I still don't know what my kids are. Uh, uh, I'm in an interracial marriage, and and uh, when they got to fill out those forms, I'm not always sure what they are. Your wife is from the Philippines? Yeah. Correct. Okay, yeah. perfect. All right. Anything else to add to our great conversation? Thank you so much for coming in. Yes, all, thank always, you. I just wanted to thank you guys for, for inviting me in and, and letting me come here and share some thoughts and, and uh, announce this presentation that I've got coming up. Thank well, you very ne- much. Next, we're going to talk about a republic crumbling, so you're welcome oh. to, <laughs> to keep listening. So stick, or stick around. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yes, very thank much you. appreciate thank you. it. Jeff Mann, professor of religious studies at Susquehanna University, works with a great uh, group of uh, colleagues over there. We know some of them, Carla Bombeck and uh, the rest of the crew, and So uh, we appreciate uh, the visit today. We're going to enjoy open phones when we return on WKOK's On the Mark. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could chop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full, new, and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. The Great American Melting Pot from Schoolhouse Rocks. Thank you so much, uh, Rob Center. We definitely appreciate that. Other folks say, ah, we're not a melting pot. We're a big salad bowl. We all live together, but uh, the ingredients don't mel- meld together. And somebody all... pours dressing over us, and we all get sticky. Uh, okay. Right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. With the uh, ranch dressing of democracy poured all over us. No, I like gazebo house. Oh, do you? Gazebo okay. room. <laughs> yeah. All right. On the mark, sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Check them out at sunburymotors.com. We're opening up the phone lines, one 800 959-5565. MLK in race was the premise for our conversation. Since then, the word reparations has come up. We talked about last year's protests and uh, what progress, if any, came out of those. Uh, of course, I always ask anybody who wants to come in here, is our republic crumbling? So uh, we ask that of our audience to answer that question as well. Did really get into social media and Facebook and the division that's uh, created there, or Fox News versus MSNBC and the division that's uh, you know sort of the little side 
silos that people get to operate in there. But we can open up the phones and talk about all that on this MLK Week uh, conversation on WKOK's On The Mark. 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemarkatwkok.com, and you can text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. Some very brief news headlines here. Monday's update from the State Department of Health uh, shows fewer people are hospitalized in Pennsylvania, 351 fewer people hospitalized in Pennsylvania. There were 193 new statewide deaths over the weekend, but no new deaths recorded in the central Susquehanna Valley in the 24 hours over the weekend, or in three 24-hour periods. Susquehanna Valley Community Education Project would like you to fill out their survey. They need feedback. The commissioners need to know that people are interested in the community, that they're excited about this, that they have a sense of what it is, and that, you know, kind of what we've been also been working on over the past, uh, you know, year or two is trying to just get that awareness out there. Megan Beck, president of the board of the Susquehanna Valley Community Education Project. We have the link to uh, the survey at WKOK.com. Law enforcement personnel in Snyder and Union Counties will now have mental health resources available thanks to a grant from the U.S. Department of Justice. Snyder County DA Mike Piazzo says the $125,000 grant was recently awarded. That funding will come in over the next two years. will call for more training in mental health areas and counseling services designed specifically for lawmen and women in our area, plus 911 dispatchers and probation officers. We have more about that at WKOK.com. And uh, Joe's going to wonder if this was right or not. A mother who stuck her kid in the trunk because he had COVID-19, she might be off the hook. A judge found no probable cause to charge her with child endangerment. Local police say they're continuing the investigation. Uh, she says her kid had COVID-19 and needed a car ride from point A to point B, so she the child was in a spacious, airy trunk, kept away from the driver of the vehicle and others in the front of the car. A pediatrician uh, says it's, it's just as easy to double up on masks, roll down the windows, and please keep kids out of the trunk. And, of course, this happened in Texas. So... Where else? Makes sense of, to me. Yeah, Put right. the kid in the trunk. Well, I, it worked for me. Uh, my daughter's in Hawaii and said uh, there was somebody at their hotel who had COVID, and so uh, they had to stay away from other people. They had to quarantine in the room, but they could walk to the beach a couple of miles, but they could walk to the beach on their own as long as they didn't have any interactions with anyone at all whatsoever on their way to the beach. So, all right, you just got to stay away from people. All right, 1-800-795-9565. Uh, talking about uh, the racial progress uh, that we have made and still need to make in the U.S. Joe still has his uh, church clipping standing by where pastors were uh, preaching uh, old-fashioned conservative church values from the pulpit over the weekend. So we can keep talking about that. 1-800-795-9565. Stan, thanks for waiting through the headlines. You're on the mark. Good morning. Uh, wasn't that uh, woman from Texas, that's not why I called, but the woman that put her kid in the trunk, she was a school teacher, from my understanding. Right, yep. Yeah, you'd think she'd know better. But anyways, that's a whole other story, and I hope they, they ain't going to charge her, but they should, with child abuse. But uh, the professor made a statement, basically, that Martin Luther King said that uh, people need to think, but not necessarily think alike. Something to that effect. I'm not exactly sure how he worded it. Okay? Right. So... Now, today, I heard on the news, I heard a clip that uh, MSNBC got the the fine uh, uh, Sharpton, Reverend Sharpton, has a show on uh, MSNBC. And I think he had uh, Klobuchar was the the guest. And they were talking about, 
you know, optics and all this. And Trump had his rally out in Arizona over the weekend. And behind him, he had there was there was a bunch of people, but there were some black people back there, and they had blacks for Trump shirts. And Sharpton claims that oh, they're just there as props. Okay, <laughs> so I guess what he's saying is these people can't think for themselves, and because they don't think like Mr. Al, that they're bad or they're brainwashed or whatever. But I, last week when Biden gave his fiery, divisive, racist speech down there in Georgia, I believe he had some black students behind him. Were they there also as optics and uh, no props? Oh, definitely. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. When, when does a diverse viewpoint and a free-thinking individual who's enjoying uh, freedom in the U.S. become a prop? Well, when they're a black well, standing face, behind let's President face Trump. It, look at how the left has treated any black conservative. You know, the, 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 it's reprehensible, really. Yeah, they're Uncle Tom's. Uncle Tom's. They're all Uncle Tom's. So I mean, we it, don't embrace diversity of thought. In other words, we want to have diversity, but not of thought. We don't want to have... Right. Everybody has to fit our preconceived notion of what they should be. Any black person should be a liberal Democrat. Any white person it, should be a Republican conservative, right? Yeah, Dr. Carson that, never that, got the memo. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, and he was talking about racial equity. Equity is equal outcome. Nobody has equal outcome. It should be racial equality. Everybody should be treated equally with the opportunity to strive and have great outcomes. But there is no way anybody can guarantee equal outcomes for anyone. Well, I think equity relates, to, equity relates to fairness in that circumstance. I don't think they're as worried about outcomes as they are worried about making sure that everybody's being treated fairly. You know, and no, that's no, equality. I, I, yeah, that's equality. I'm sorry. I, Do I'm, I have I'm, to look up equity? I'm coming what down. What is this on elementary school now? <laughs> okay, Google. What's the definition of equity? Being Here's mo- the definition of equity. The quality of being fair and impartial. There we go. What did I fair just say? And fair and impartial. No, you said equal. No, I said fair. This fair is what I said. Equity is the definition. Stan, you can interpret equity and inclusion and diversity to whatever means you need, but the rest of the world is talking about equity as fairness, and it is not the same oh, as equality. So being so being equal, equality isn't fair. It, treating people, having systems that treat people equally, is a matter of fairness. Yes. Right. So equality is fair. Okay. All right, you win, Stan. We got to move on. Yeah, well, I'm, what I'm else? just saying. I mean, equity. You know, my understanding of is that is uh, equal outcomes, which is impossible. I can't be. Right. Well, I could be, maybe, if I work hard enough and do the right thing, become a billionaire. <laughs> but I haven't. Right. But I don't denigrate Bezos for becoming a millionaire. Millionaire, maybe some of his ideas, but not for becoming a millionaire. <laughs> All right, we got you. Thank you so much, Stan. Really, right, thanks for calling in. Thanks, uh, Lance. You are next up. Uh, go right ahead. You're on the mark. Okay. Why? Well, I, uh, I really believe that uh, when we have those forms and it has like 20 different races, ethnicities, and all that, I have one here uh, from a different outfit, outfit, and it has other. So you check that, and you put human on there. <laughs> there you go. That would that would solve this issue. Yeah, it sure would. And we should be governed by what we can do, 
mean, what our talents are, regardless, you know, if you're orange, green, purple, chartreuse, or come from Mars. Our That's gifts. the only thing that should matter. Yeah, what are uh, our gifts? Who talked about that? Oh, Paul talked about that forever. We all have yeah. our own gifts. Yeah, sure did. Exactly. He really did. And uh, when uh, we start to uh, consider, you know, what an individual can do, that should be the only thing that uh, we would look at. And well, that uh, redlining deal he, w- he was talking about, <laughs> well, those people could still uh, apply for a loan with those outfits. Right. They that just was wouldn't really get it. Moot. Right. And they just wouldn't get it. The, oh, yeah, they would if they had the credit. So redlining didn't exist, or it might have existed, but it was still fair and equal. It didn't really discriminate. Like any financial the institution. Only, look, if you can prove you don't need the money, they'll be happy to grant you the loan. <laughs> the only reason they didn't have banks in there is because they kept getting robbed. And that is the truth. Okay. I remember years ago reading all kinds of articles because a banker, I'm well familiar, I have relatives who are bankers, and they say, when a man walks into the office for a loan, there's only one color we see, green. Can the blankety-blank pay it back? Mm-hmm. That's it. With interest. If you, can do, hmm? yeah. if you can do it, you know, if you can pay it back, you're going to get the loan. And uh, there's a lot of folks that uh, have a history of not doing that. As I said, if you can prove you don't need the money, we'll be happy to loan it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever color you are. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, kind of true, but I never had any trouble. What was redlining, Joe, by definition, historically speaking? Actually, I'm not familiar with that term. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. Well, it's uh, I'm, Lawrence's worthless definition. It was when uh, unspoken and not actually written down, certain neighborhoods where it was primarily blacks were carved out of areas that would uh, could receive loans for improvements or mortgages, and it was primarily blacks who couldn't, if they lived in that area, couldn't participate in, uh, were discriminated against, oh, I, and then that the would definition. keep whites in another part of town so that that part of the town could grow. In the United United States redlining is a discriminatory practice in which services, financial or otherwise, are withheld from potential customers who reside in neighborhoods classified as hazardous to investment. These residents largely belong to racial and ethnic minorities. Well, because they were hazardous. I mean, it wasn't something somebody dreamed up. Right, and we had to keep them that way. That's the point of fighting against redlining. Well, is that they, they may have been not so much not, that the race was a constant was a, a peripheral to the fact that the neighborhood was dangerous. In gotcha. other words, I'm not going to invest in this neighborhood because it's dangerous to be there. Now you say it's dangerous because the people who live there are of color. That sounds racist to me. All right. Anything else, yeah. Lance? Well, I was just looking. What well, recently there in Philadelphia? Uh, I believe it was Domino's got into all kinds of trouble because they would only accept credit cards in certain neighborhoods because their people kept getting beat up and robbed. But the mayor said, no, you can't do that. You're still going to have to send people in there to get beat up and robbed. that makes sense? It does if you're a liberal, I guess. Okay, we got you, Lance. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling in. Well, hey, can I just have one, one thing? Uh, briefly, sure. Okay. Well, uh, yesterday, when we were talking about the uh, Oath Keepers, well, I went to one of their picnics, and they seemed very family-oriented, and I had <laughs> probably the best venison chili I ever had. 
Oh, well, there you have it. Okay. Well, I think that maybe it's just the leaders that just were... ignoring the fact that they're beating people over the heads with flagpoles. But other than that, they're a great Not just anybody. <laughs> cops. Oh, cops, yeah. cops, right. But that's just the leaders of the leaders leader group, not the no rank and file. They, they say they don't mind blacks and women in positions no. of power, but the leaders don't like them. But the rank and file might. You know, it's like uh, like a union, too. They have uh, union leaders that are just so horrible and dang near communists, and the rank and file sure not. Are just working-class yeah. dogs. Okay, we got you. Thank All you right. so much, Lance. All right, 1-800-795-9565. Let's see. Lutherans, meat, loaf, Catholics, uh, lasagna, oath keepers, venison, stew. stew. Okay. <laughs> what are we going to have at the next meeting? Uh, all right. Uh, I want to tell you that, I, uh, of course, I've been driving these vehicles at the Sunbury Motor Company. I want to tell you about the one that it had to be the most fun, and it was an SUV. It was all-wheel drive, and it got a gazillion miles to the gallon. It was the Mustang Mach-E that we drove uh, last summer. A nice red color. It was a ruby red color. It, just a gorgeous vehicle to look at. It doesn't have the traditional Mustang look. This is the Mustang of the future. 100% electric with a series of electric motors that ran the wheels. Uh, if you wish, that it would make a tailpipe sound so that it would go if you wanted it to. No, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> See, that's how you get uh, Joe's attention. But it is an SUV, so it was built about eight inches off the ground, and of course it came with knobbly tires so that you could go up a snowy hill, and it was an all-electric pony, we'll call it, and it was just a fun car to drive, 100% quiet, a gazillion gallons of the miles. You could charge it on 220 in your garage if you have it, or 110 if you had a couple of extra hours. It takes, I think, five or six hours to charge fully on 110, but uh, much faster, disproportionately faster on 220. Not quite sure why that is, but only an hour or so. But then it had uh, the great uh, sort of a laptop touch screen on the right-hand side where you could see what was going on. Uh, you didn't have to touch it while you were driving. Everything you needed to know, your speed and your what's left in your battery and so on, is right in front of it. But the rest is just normal. You know, park, reverse, neutral, drive, low, and you name it, it could do it. But all-wheel drive by its very nature. And it was the Mustang Mach-E. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that this week. I drove the 2021. You can drive the 2022 at the Sunbury Motor Company. Our sponsor, Sunbury Motors.com. Okay, we're going to hear a good song that relates to just being a human, right? This is from 2009. Well, by the time we're done with the intro. The 80s. Okay, so we're going back to the 80s. the human league. Ah, the human league. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're talking about race, but we are ne- are we not just people? Remember the series WKOK and the Daily Adam did only about 15 short years ago called Just People, where we talked about the fact that we have a lot of diversity and differences, but we are just people. Cindy, you are on the mark. I think that relates to your observation as well. Good morning, gentlemen. I liked uh, the previous caller's suggestion about writing human race. That's that's a wonderful uh, answer. What I've done on the census forms, it, and I, this really perturbs me because when they ask you your ethnicity, your heritage, that kind of a thing, they never offer American as an option. And that irks the heck out of me. How long do people have to count their family in this country before you're an American and not a, an Irish or a Scot or French or... Spanish or Hispanic. I mean, how long? So I always write in giant letters across that whole block, American, and move on on the forms. 
I refuse to get into slicing and dicing the people of this country. And I'm going to take that suggestion and write human. I refuse to uh, participate in dividing us up. I do, I do hold the government accountable for approaching us in that way. That brings me to another subject. Last week we were discussing um, should we put our thumb on the scale of elections in order to favor groups of people who historically were perceived or were uh, behind in their electoral representation. And, of course, I was pretty adamant in saying no. And it, the question came up, well, how many African-American people are in our commonwealth? And the population, I think that it re was reported to be 10, 11 percent of the population is black. And then uh, how many, what proportion of the state legislature, and son of a gun, 9 percent? which I think is pretty good, although I, when I looked further into it, there were articles who thought this was horrible. Well, if that is horrible, which I don't see, I mean, if it was 2%, I'd agree with you. 5%, I'd agree with you. 9 versus 11, I'm having a hard time agreeing with you that that's cataclysmically wrong. But get this, 51%, 51% of the people in this commonwealth are women. Care to guess how many women, what percentage of the chambers are female? I'd say about 25%. Wow, Mark, you must have looked it up. You get an A, Jeopardy winner of the day. <laughs> That's right, 25%. Now, where's the hue and cry about this, I ask you? Well, I'm really mad about it. Are we, are we, <laughs> how about <laughs> that? Doesn't, does, doesn't that upset. feed into this notion that we all have to be represented or we can't be represented by anybody who is different from us? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I don't care if I, I happen, we, I have a female state representative. I think she does a great job. I have one, too. So, you I have mean, the same one. <laughs> <laughs> She's busy taking care of you two. At least right now, right? right. <clears throat> I understand that's going to change, but right, right now I do. Um, but I, I ask you, you know, what, uh, why aren't we looking at this great disparity? If you're going to, if the approach is, that it has to equal or be reflective of the population as a whole, then why isn't that being addressed? And I bring up an important statistic because so many of the people in this region are sports enthusiasts. Seventy-five percent of the men in the of, of the men in the NFL are black. So should we correct this? Because obviously that's <laughs> biased. You know, that's certainly disproportional to the 10 to 13 percent of the American population. Are we going to, and I bring this up to say, are we going to look at every occupation and say, you must have 10 percent black people and you must have, you know, 51 percent women and you must have, are we really going to do that and allow those things which do not in any way connect with your ability to function in that role? Are we going to allow those to become the deciders about who does things? I hope not. I want the person who's the top of their class, really I couldn't care less whether they are black or white or green or purple. Maybe people think of having uh, a, a, a proportionate number of women in legislatures, think of it as just a, a, you know, sort of an equity or an equality, not equity, but equality thing. You know, that if, if somehow w women's perspective is significantly different, then we should have an equal number of women, equal number of blacks as we do in the population as a whole. But that's not how you get elected, so that's probably right. why we're, you know, we might be behind in one area. But what in the NFL... 
the way that you get on the team is you excel athletically. And so, you know, apparently some blacks are better at it than some whites because the reflection in NFL's makeup of employees isn't the same as uh, the nation as a whole. But Teddy Roosevelt. But if I if, if I carry the argument that's been had over you know over the course of time, actually the NFL is conspiring to exclude white people. That would be the conclusion <laughs> I would come to. Taking a look at this, obviously there's been a massive conspiracy to exclude white people from playing football. Well, I but I think you'd no. that, that would be true if it were unfair that whites couldn't like if whites couldn't try out. You know, in in America there've been situations where blacks couldn't participate, couldn't try out. You know, maybe their schools weren't as good if they were in a certain area where the schools aren't ideal. So, you know, then you have a then you have unfairness as Stan talked about, a lack of equity. Okay, but there's and then only, you have an equality right issue. Right now there's only one black football coach in the NFL. NFL, Mike Tomlin. Okay. The others were all fired this past at the end of this season. So you know you can make the argument that okay, well it's okay for the lower echelons to be uh, of color, but the coaches can't be. Uh, the quarterbacks, oh, the overwhelming thing? majority. I mean, are there any women? You know, I the other day uh, facetiously I started an argument with my husband because one of the Penn State women's teams coaches was a man. And I said, you know, you never see women coaching men's sports. Show me a woman coaching a man's sport. And yet, over and over again, you see men coaching women. Is that, is, is that how that should be? I just and the, saw and a qu- woman and coach. responded with, somewhere. that coach was, had oh. put the Penn State team at the top in the country over and over and over again. So we're going to ignore that he was effective as a coach and only criticize his gender and, and, you know, theoretically get rid of him only because he's not the right gender. Isn't that silly? Well, the Yankees I think silly. have actually hired a woman to manage one of their minor league teams. Yeah, that's starting true. This season, just starting, right? So that's a good start. <laughs> I don't know what it's. It's, it's a minor league, a minor league club. Uh, it's in the a, a, A's, isn't it? It's single A, I think. Short season, yeah, single, single A. a. Uh, yeah. Football, baseball. Oh, what I'm trying. I'm not that I agree, or not that I agree with any of what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, just think about this. Is this really? the way we should make these decisions. It's a scary thought. You know, I don't pick uh, a surgeon based on their uh, race. I I pick them based on their competence because, you know, I'm going under the knife. They could kill me. You Mm -hmm. know, I think we should get past, and if our country would just stop measuring everyone by the color of their skin and focus on the content of their character and on their skill set, we'd be a whole lot better off. But it seems to me like there's a large uh, segment of people who really are obsessed with and spend well, time Cindy. counting all this stuff, you know? How about this? And that's where this comes from. Okay, so when you fill out your driver's license form, a police officer is going to want to know your race, so that that'll be one of the first indicators when the law person stops you. Is that okay on a why? driver's license? No, okay. it's not. It's not. Okay, that's fine. That's the answer is no, I'll so take why it. Why are they doing that? You can look right at me and figure out. Is this, <laughs> I assume they put that on there initially when there were no pictures. And this right. helped to validate that the person holding it 
match the name and the and the license. Okay. You know well, what I'm saying? Yep, we got but one. But there's no need to do that now. Your picture's on there. We got. So. A, I have another yes, no question for it, but we got one call coming in, But and then I have to take the break, or actually not in that order. But um, should the census ask race? No. no so no, it doesn't matter at all be. whatsoever, anywhere, period. Race no, does it, does it make a difference what color anymore. the person is who's living in this? Well, how are we going to know that our legislatures are unequal until why we do know we need how many know? blacks there are? Why, why do we need to know <laughs> what color why you are? Why is that relevant? If you're yeah, a great right? candidate relevant. and you're black, get elected and we'll go from there. All right, thank you, know, you so much. The fire company doesn't say, is that a white house or a black house or an Asian house before they come to the fire? For heaven's sake. You know, my government should not be responding to me based on my race for any reason. All right, we got you. Thank, Thank you so much. Really Thank appreciate you, the call. All right, one eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. When does race help us? Uh, divisions of race, or or even just knowledge of race? If we're talking about the census, should it to be uh, sort of race free, color free? Just talk about uh, where you are, what you live, and how many are in the house, and that's all they want to know. One eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. If we're going to get rid of ageism, should we take our age off of things? You know, do we care about age? Let's. Let's suppose we want to get rid of ageism. Uh, do, do we want to put that on any form? Well, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt had a great quote. He said, there is no room in this country for hyphenated Americanism. When I refer to hyphenated Americans, I do not refer to naturalized Americans. Some of the best Americans I've ever known were naturalized. Americans born abroad. But a hyphenated American is not an American at all. This is just as true of the man who puts native before hyphen as the man who puts German or Irish or English or French before the hyphen. All right. We're either Americans, we're people, we're humans. Right. 1-800-795-9565. Weigh in on our conversation. We've got time for one more caller. So call us now. 1-800-795-9565. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake. A service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could chop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full, new, and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the mark. 1-800-795-9565. Read the quote, please, in the middle of the screen. Uh, in the middle of the screen. Okay. Uh, people like to cherry-pick MLK quotes to make him less radical and challenging to white America and to the powerful. Here's an example where he is clearly saying that structural racism is real, must change, and white people need to understand that. Do you think all people whitewash MLK's radical pro- uh, prophetic vision of how to feel comfortable with the status quo. The quote he, uh, our writer uses is, white Americans must recognize that justice for black people cannot be achieved without racial or radical changes in the structure of our society. 
And that's from Where Do We Go From Here, 1967. All right, the text. Text says, Joe, your redlining definition can now be expanded to disliked political affiliations. Mike Lindell has been told he needs to close bank accounts. I'm not familiar with that either. Are you? That's the pillow man? Yeah, the pillow man. I'm familiar with him. I'm tired of him. I'm tired of his ads. Mm. I don't know. Maybe they thought he was insolvent. He's a glung cellular. Those banks were saying that they didn't want to be associated with him because of his views. Oh, oh So right, they said, we don't want so our name associated with you, so see ya. So in other lie. words, if I have a check <laughs> printed on your bank, that's going to somehow reflect badly on the bank? It's wow. probably discrimination. Sounds like Maybe it. it's not allowed. Thank you, sir. All right, Chris, you get a minute. Go right ahead. Yeah, well, Sydney is a believer that if you refuse to see race, then it, racism won't exist. I think that's pretty naive and not very bright. Uh, take football. Yeah, was there ever discrimination against white players in basketball? Was there a tradition of it? No, there was discrimination against black players in football, basketball, baseball. Uh, so, therefore, it, 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 it's a different situation isn't it? But take football, for instance. There are a lot of black assistant coaches, maybe even a majority now, but head coaches? No. General managers? No. Owners? No. Where do you think the change has to come in order to have black coaches? General managers? Owners? Well, do you think the black coaches were fired unfairly? I mean, I think they... They I don't care hired. whether they were fired unfairly or not. Well, I do if they were unfairly, but they, there's all sorts of reasons you, you can always cover up. You can always fake that one way or another, so it but doesn't it, really but the end result, discussion. Uh, but let's face it, the results for all professional sports are based on how the performance on the field but who goes. gets the job of head coach? Do you, is it going to hurt your product? Don't they have to interview black candidates? Yeah, they're, they're required to interview a certain number of them, yes, okay. but they don't have to hire them. But, they don't you know, have to hire them, look no. at Look at the success of Mike Tomlin over the years, you know, in Pittsburgh. I'm not, uh, so what? That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, is it? Well, yeah, How I think does it does relate? have something to do with what you're talking about, because he he is holds his job based on his ability. He is an incredibly good coach. You know, take Lovey Smith, for example, who was fired. Uh, Lovey had a spotty record, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But in the end, it's the performance on the team that determines whether or not somebody keeps their job or is hired in the first place. They take a chance so on you them based on their record. 75% of the players uh, being black, and you have all but one head coach being white. How many linemen are white? How many linemen are black? How many quarterbacks are black? How many quarterbacks are white? There's disparities all yeah, the way I through just the said system. Players, Joe, you just don't respond to what I'm saying but at by all. Position, you're, you're making it sound like it's a total thing. It's by position sometimes. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. Very good call. Much appreciated. Most Thanks. of the place kickers are white. Uh-oh. Can't they have women playing football? This is WKOK Sunbury.